Well, good morning. Like Sister Everett said, my name is Gino Allison, and I want to welcome you all on this slightly gloomy Sunday morning to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. It's my honor and privilege to be here with you. Special welcome to those of you who might be visiting us for the very first time. It's so good to have you here with us. And as always, we want to say hello to those of you who are watching us virtually through our live stream, or maybe you're watching us later on demand. Uh, we also welcome you to come and visit with us in person here at the SSV. Like ever mentioned, I have the privilege this morning of concluding a teaching series that we've been in for the last several months. It's a teaching series that we've simply been calling Explore. We've been discussing life, faith, and meaning. And if you've been tracking with us, you know that we've been basing this teaching series on the world-famous Alpha Course, which was started by a man named Mickey, Nicky Gumbel uh, in the UK. Uh, some of you are familiar with this. You've been hanging around church for a while. You're familiar with the Alpha Course. But the Alpha Course is very effective because it uses a question-based approach to focus on the basics of Christianity. And it is our rhythm annually to regularly revisit the basics of our Christian faith because we always have new people engaging us, not just new to our church, but people who are new to faith. If you are a growing church, if you are a church on mission, you should expect, you should reasonably expect that there will be new believers in the room. And if not new believers, there will be people peeking in the window of faith, trying to figure out what it's all about, trying to figure out if there's some place for them there. And so we regularly try to talk about the Christian basics. And this time around, we've used the Alpha Course to do that. And we begin this series exploring few, uh, a few of really important questions. We've talked about, is there more to life than this? We've talked about prayer, answer questions about the Bibles, particularly how God guides us. We've discussed the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the problem of evil. And Shannon did a fantastic job last week of talking to us about how we can tell others about our faith. And as we consider how to tie a big bow on this series, after all, we've wrestled with these really important questions about life and the spiritual life and meaning, right? How do we get on with the rest of our lives, knowing what we know? After hearing what we've heard, how do we get on with the rest of our life? This can be a hard but very important question to answer because after all, we only get one life. This week, as I was walking uh, up the stairs of our house, going up to my room, my six-year-old son said to me, Daddy, are you going, to, you going up to watch the news? I said, no, I'm not going to watch the news, man. It's 11, 11.30. The news is not on. And he gave me this puzzled look. Like, just go up there and turn the news on. Whatever show you, as we did this back and forth, it occurred to me that he only watched the streaming TV, right? The, 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 the concept that something comes on TV at a fixed time, uh, and if you miss it at that fixed time, the show is gone, like it doesn't occur to him because everything he watches, either on television or on his tablet or my phone, is something that he can watch on demand, right? And it occurred to me that sometimes we might lose sight of the fact that you only get one shot. Your life comes on and at a predetermined time by God, your life blinks off, and if you miss an opportunity to live well, if you miss an opportunity to steward your life the way God intends you to steward your life, you, you, you only get one shot. There's no rewinding. There's no do-overs. You get one shot. No matter how old you are or young you are, you get one shot. No matter what life stage you are, no matter what gender, however you identify, whatever your political affiliation and all the demographic things that kind of try to define us, you only get one shot. 
But the good news is, is that if you're listening to my voice right now, and if you are able to draw a breath, it's not too late for you to make the most and to make the best of the rest of your life. You've still got time. And so it's not lost on me today that we have our students in today, which is really, really cool because this is one of those messages that you need to hear and hear over and over again. And we want to conclude this series by asking and answering this question, how can I make the most of the rest of my life? No matter what stage or age I'm in right now, how can I make the most of the rest of my life. We're going to look at a short passage of scripture this morning in Romans chapter 12. So meet me there in your Bibles, if you will. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to, to use those paper Bibles to follow along with us this morning. You can also interact with the text this morning through your mobile devices, your phone, or your tablets. We'll also be projecting the words to these scriptures on the screens. Romans chapter 12. While you find that, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for yet another opportunity to worship you. To worship you publicly, to worship you in the company of other believers. We thank you, Lord, be counted as a privilege. We thank you for waking us up this morning. We thank you that as wars rage all around the world that we woke up safe this morning. And while we thank you for peace here, we ask that your peace would invade those places that are tattered and torn by war those people who feel afraid and unstable, I pray that your peace and your kingdom would come. As we sit here today, Father, I pray that we would feast at your table this morning, that whatever you set on the table for us to feast on, Lord, that we would humbly receive it, and that our hearts would be soft landing spaces for whatever you seek to lay in it. Come, Holy Spirit, put power on these words you've given me to speak. Move me out of the way so that I'm not a distraction. And your truth and your light shine through. We ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Romans chapter 12, I'm reading verses 1 and 2. It goes this way. And so, dear brothers, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is a very familiar text uh, for those of us who, who, who frequent this church. And this is probably one of the texts that comes up over and over and over again. Uh, it comes up often as a supporting text. It's a text that we tag other texts with, but this is a very important text. And Paul sets this up really well and frames this challenge. And I do see this text as a challenging text. He frames it in a helpful way. In verse 1, he says, because of all God has done for you, that's a little phrase in the middle of this, which basically means Paul is asking us to do some hard things. This is the hardest thing you ever do in your life, hardest thing you ever lean in, especially in a sustained way. And Paul is framing this as something that we do in response to what's already been done for us. To put it a different way, Paul says, and I believe he's saying this, that in response to what God has done for us, 
Paul gives us some things to focus on and do. If you look at the preceding chapter, chapter 11, it's all about God's goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness both to Israel and to the Gentiles. And so the opening verse of chapter 12 says, and so, which means that Paul is reaching back to something that he just said in chapter 11. And so basically, Paul is resting all of what he's going to ask us to do because it's a really tall order as we're about to see. He rests it all on the goodness and mercy and faithfulness of God. And he's saying, because God has done this for us, you should do this. Because God has been faithful in this way and in that way and in that way, God is demanding of us such and so. And you should be reminded that everything God is asking us to do, no matter how small or how great, is in response to what he's already done for us. We sang this morning about the goodness of God. We are aware of his sacrifice and his unconditional love, and God has the right to demand of us that we respond to him appropriately. Three things stand out in this text. Paul is giving us the cheat codes. He's giving us the answers to the test. And if we're concerned how to make the most of the rest of our lives, we ought to lean and get to the edge of our seat today. Because in this text, I see at least three things. The first is, Paul says, give your body to God. Give your body to God. Now, some of you are sitting there, and you're trying to decode this. What preacher, what's, what, what is the word body? What is it code for? Like, what is Paul trying to say? Well, the word body here is code for your body. <laughs> like your actual body. The Bible often uses figurative language, but this is not one of those places. When Paul says, give your body to God, he means your actual, natural body. I plead with you, give your bodies to God, Paul says. Let them be living and holy sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Think of it, your body, as this vehicle of expression. Vehicle that will live out and be the actual outworking of your will, of your desires, of your passions, it will bring into material life like what you think and what you feel and what you believe. It's one of your most valuable assets because you get to express what you think and what you feel and what you think you know inwardly. You get to express that with your body. And I think when we start talking about a body, especially as a sacrifice to God, especially in the context of what we're supposed to do with our life and how we're supposed to make the most and the best of our life, we could and we should get really, you know, granular when we start talking about our bodies because if we're going to mess up in life, we're typically going to uh, involve our body in it, right? And I'm glad our students are in here, and I'm going to aim some of this at you, because if you hear this now, and you listen to it now, and you put it into practice now, I think life will go better for you. Your body. Let's zoom in, shall we? Let's start with these beautiful but strange things here. Your ears. Their gates. Their windows, if you will. And we are discipled, for better or worse, you've heard me say this many times, by what we, what we hear and what we listen to. 
what we listen to and what we hear, particularly those things that we choose to hear and listen to over and over and over again. I'm talking about media, I'm talking about music. And because I'm getting old, I regularly pop on iTunes just to see what's hot. I want to see what the kids are listening to. And there's a section on iTunes, you go to genre and this, that, and the other, you can see what the top songs are in any particular genre, but you can also see what the top just songs are, period. And if you've ever done this lately, you know that all the top songs have this little E next to them. And this isn't like video games. This isn't like rated E for everyone. These songs are not for everyone. That E means explicit. And so every now and then I pop on and just see what the kids are listening to, see what's hot, see if I still got it. And let me tell you, I don't still have it. I don't think I've ever had it. Because the top songs, the most popular ones, are some of the filthiest stuff you will ever listen to. I was with one of my sons the other day, and he said, Dad, can we listen to the clean version of this song? So I said, well, let's listen to the actual version of this song. It was just me and him in the car. And we put the song on and bleep, bleep this and bleep that and bleep this and, this and that, flip it and dip it, drop it. <laughs> One, if you, 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 you have to bleep the, half the song in order to clean it up. But no amount of bleeping would clean up what he's talking about. You understand what I'm saying? And if we're going, to, we're going to talk about giving our bodies to get God and to figure out how to, how to make the best of the most of our life, many of us have forsaken being diligent and discriminate about what we listen to and what disciples us. You say, Pastor, look, I, look I'm, not, I'm not a words person. I just, I just like the beat. I just like the rhythm. Yeah, but you can't unhear the flip it and dip it, coming over here, baby, and drop it. You can't unhear that. And when you're hearing those words, what are you thinking about? The goodness of Jesus? What are you meditating on, right? We're talking about our ears, and we press down into this more, and we can talk about our eyes. We've got to give our eyes to the Lord, and I won't spend as much time on this because the same concept is true. Our eye gates... Our windows into our mind, windows into our soul, and I'll say it over and over, especially because we have the students in here, what you see will disciple you as much, if not more, than what you hear. And we're living at a time where uh, all the vices, all the bad stuff, all the naughty stuff, is just a click, it's just a click away. And if your hands are tied, you could tell Siri and she'll go hunt it down for you. You understand what I'm saying? I said, Preacher, why are you leaning in on this? I'm, I'm talking to young people. Because look, 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 once you awaken certain things, come on, once you awaken certain passions, once you awaken certain desires, no matter how young you are, it's, it's hard to put those things back to bed. And th some of us, uh, 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 through the power of the Spirit, have overcome certain things and have was walking in the measure of healing, but some of those things will always be with us. I'm talking about what you do with your body. And this ears and eyes 
matter because they eventually impact what we do with our hands. What we do with our hands. What we do with our hands, what we put our hands toward is often influenced by what we've heard and what we've seen. Our bodies involve not just everything above the chin, but those things below. And I'm talking about our sexuality. You want to press deeper into this? It won't get too deep. But what you do with your sexuality, like God is greatly concerned about it. And we've taken great effort over the years as we drifted from being tightly tethered to righteousness and to holiness to to separate what we do with our mind and what we do with our body. And, and, And it doesn't work like that within the realm of Christian faith. In fact, there's never been more time, a more important time to zero in on what God says about sexuality and what God says about our minds because we've never been in a more permissive culture. Or if it makes you happy, do it. And if the other person consents to you doing it with them, well, that's the only thing you need to worry about. Can I tell you that for the Christian, that's a really, that's a really low bar. That's a really low bar. It doesn't matter whether you're heterosexual or not. We need to wrestle with what the scripture says about how we manage our sexuality. And we just happen to be a church that is open and welcoming to to all, but we don't happen to affirm every sexual lifestyle. We feel that the scriptures are pretty clear on how we're supposed to live out our sexuality and it's becoming costly for a church to be public about what they actually believe. I saw a post just this week where somebody said, we're going to start having to blast, and I'm paraphrasing, blast these churches that don't affirm homosexuality. And so I thought to myself, all of a sudden now, we aren't just like voting with our feet as to which church we will go to based on what we believe. We will blast and cancel those who believe something different or who view the scriptures a different way. The costs are great, but yet, when it comes to our bodies as Christians, we have to wrestle the scriptures to the ground because it involves what we do with our what? Our bodies. We move on to the mouth, and we're talking about what we eat and what we drink, and some of us have become professional eaters this week. You're still sluggish from all the meat in your belly, and in the Christian world and in the church world, this can be one of those things that we all talk about enough, our eating and our drinking and our drinking and our drinking and our eating. God cares what you eat. He cares how much you eat. God cares what you drink and how much you drink because he cares about our bodies. He requires of us our bodies. And I can go on and on about this, but I think you get the idea. Paul says, give God your bodies. Because what Paul knows is when you give God your bodies, when you make your body wholly available to God, young people, your body becomes unavailable for those things and those people and those circumstances that cut against the grain of what God would have you do with your body. 
If I have to walk to this side of the stage, I am walking away from that side of the stage. If I'm going to make myself available here, I am unavailable to that space over there. And this is how giving your body to God works. Paul frames it as we're living sacrifices. And I think that's a good phrase because, well, living sacrifices just don't, they don't stay on the altar for very long. We get very anxious about the sacrifice and the things that we're being asked to do. And God calls us to come and die to ourselves. I don't love that language, honestly. I want to live. But our sinful, fallen flesh, our sinful, fallen, default ways of thinking and living, when Jesus draws us toward him, he invites us to come and die. Living sacrifices which means we got to climb on the altar and we got to stay on the altar even as God does that painful transforming work. We are sacrifices. And so there's suffering involved. There's pain involved in this Christian life. There is denying ourselves, figuring out what to say no to and figuring out what to say yes to all with the help of the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit that we talked about just a few weeks ago. Now, why is this necessary? Because if you're going to come to Christ, if you're going to come to faith, God will ask you to do really hard things. It's as a way of life. Not just for a moment, but for the rest of your life, do really hard things. Search the scripture. Jesus says what? Love your enemies. And some of us, we have a hard time loving our friends. We have a hard time loving people we actually like. But Jesus says, as the way of Jesus, love your enemies. That's hard. And love them well forever. Jesus says, tell the truth. Even when it's going to cost you. Even when you might get in trouble. Tell the truth. Scriptures tell us don't overindulge in excessive food and drink. Like for the rest of your life, moderation. Scriptures tell us that all sex and lust, lust outside of heterosexual marriage is sin. Like we got to wrestle with that for the rest of our life. Jesus goes on to say, even if you look lustfully at somebody, you might as well have committed the act. Like this is a really high bar. And it doesn't go unless you've given your body to God. Now, why is this so hard? It's so hard because there is tremendous pressure, tremendous pressure to conform and to be like the world around us. There, I said it. We need to just name that, right? Which brings us to the second thing that Paul says here. He says, don't copy the world. It's going to be hard to bring your body to God on a perpetual basis if you are copying the world. And Paul says this again because there is tremendous pressure to conform to the world. And a few weeks ago, we defined the world as the enemy around us. Not that the world is bad and that there's evil and bad people lurking around every corner, although there's some places there are. 
But the world, particularly in scripture, world in this Christian, uh, in the Christian sort of mind is, is the things that are outside of the things of God and the way of God. It's the secular lean toward individualism, the secular lean toward doing whatever uh, it, it takes to make yourself happy. You do you. And the world is always updating its standard and it's always changing with the blowing of the winds and the times. While the steadfast way of Jesus is constant, it, it's steady, it doesn't move, it doesn't shift, it doesn't try to measure which way the cultural winds are blowing. And so Paul says, don't copy the world. A couple of weeks ago, we gave this illustration of this big sort of people mover, this auto walk in the, the airport. And if you think of the world as this auto walk that's moving in a certain direction, and I'm saying this again because our students weren't in here a couple of weeks ago, you think of the world as just, it's heading toward a certain direction. It's heading toward hedonism and, and pleasure. Do what makes you happy. See what's hot right now and try to get right in the midst of it. And what you can't see is at the end of that conveyor, it's going over the cliff of destruction. It's going over the cliff of hedonism and we'll just have fun to death. We'll just party to death. We'll be spiritually apathetic to death, and that's the way the conveyor is taking you. And either you're actively participating with it, you're walking toward the flow of it, you're getting there faster than the belt is moving, or you're just sort of standing there passively, going with the flow, which is where most of us live, especially those Christians who are trying to hide in plain sight. But that the third participant on this conveyor, and that is the person who is actively walking the other way, actively going against the grain of where the culture is taking us, actively moving toward life and godliness. This takes time. This takes effort. This takes a will and a mind to follow God. Young people, which one are you today? Paul says, don't copy the world. He says this, and we say it over and over, because there's tremendous pressure to blend in. As a part of the Alpha course, Nikki Gumbel told a story of a policeman who is taking the police exam to become a, become a policeman. And he says the questions, the first five or six questions were really easy, but the last questions was a real doozy. And they presented him with this dilemma. You walk, you drive onto the street, and you see all this stuff going on. There's a bus that's overturned, and there's dozens of people in there screaming for help. There's an armed robbery happening across the street. There's a chemical spill, there's a cat in a tree, you just spotted a fugitive that's been on the run for 12 years, what do you do? And the officer casually said, I take off my uniform, put on regular clothes, and I blend in with everyone else. And I gotta tell you, with all the things that we have to take a stand for as Christians, with all the ways that we have to out ourselves as people of faith who, who, who bear the name of Christ, who, who, who have with us the fragrance of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, sometimes we just want to not be noticed. Sometimes we just want to blend in with everybody else. 
knows. Sometimes we don't want to have to speak up or out ourselves as people who follow Jesus. And Paul says we don't really have that option as followers of Jesus. He says don't copy the world. And you can copy the world whatever life stage you're in, whatever profession, whatever your tax bracket, whatever school you go to, public or private, you can copy the world. And I guarantee you, if you choose to set down that path, you will not make the most of the rest of your life. Paul says, don't copy the world. The third and final thing that he says here is really important. And I'm paraphrasing when I say this. Paul says, make up your mind. Make up your mind. I think you live your life differently when you've got your mind made up. Verse 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, we can't talk about the life lived well unless we talk about our mind. How we think, what we think, what informs that thinking, we got to talk about our minds. We can talk about our bodies all day long, but if we don't talk about the thing that controls the body, that informs our activity of our body, this really important vehicle, I think we won't be talking about this well. Paul says, make up your mind, the CPU, the center of your thoughts, emotions, etc. Paul says, make up your mind. And the implication here is that as fallen sinful humans, our default setting needs to be reoriented. As fallen sinful humanity, we've come out of the box with what my father would call stinking thinking. A way of viewing the world, a way of thinking that doesn't cause us to show up well as a sincere follower of Jesus. And my mom used to say all the time, ain't nothing like a made-up mind. She would say all the time, ain't nothing like a made-up mind. For most of my childhood, I didn't have a clue what she was talking about. But the older I get, the more I understand that what my mom was talking about is when, you, when you've come to an understanding, when you fixed your gaze on a certain thing, when you cemented certain principles and certain spiritual and social realities, you move differently in the world. Now, what I've also come to understand is that a made-up mind is a fairly neutral expression because you can have your mind made up for good or for foolishness. And sometimes I'm talking to people and I'm 36 seconds in and I realize this is, I'm dealing with dry cement. Ain't nothing changing about what. This person's mind is made up. And I dare not spend one more second trying to convince them because their mind is made up. But usually I'm my best self when my mind is made up. When I get into a mode where I'm motivated and I'm principled about my thinking and my eating and my exercise and fitness, I, like, I'm, I'm my best self. And some of you can attest that when your mind's made up about being disciplined about your finances and your financial future, like you're your best self. 
When it comes to love and romance and relationships, when your mind is made up, when your principles and standards are in order, you're your best self, when your, your ethics are in line and you get some resolution surrounding who you're going to be in the world, like you're your best self. However, at times though, you've had your mind made up about the wrong things. You've been fighting the wrong enemies and the wrong battles. You've been in love and you've had your mind made up about the wrong person. Anybody fell in love with Mr. Wrong or Miss Right Now? The object of your faith and desire was something other than God and you had your mind made up. You were standing firm in that thing. But then Christ moves in and Christ gets to rearranging the furniture of your life. And then Christ moves in and he tears down the walls and gets behind those studs and starts rewiring things. And then your mind shifts. And your mind gets made up about the right things. And all of a sudden you become resolute about the right things. And you've got the right motives and you're pursuing the right goals and noble pursuits. Righteous truth is at the center of your thinking. Christ is at the center of your thinking. You're resolute about how you steward your body and how you steward your time and how you steward your treasure and what you give your attention to. And you're discriminating about who deserves you and your body, you and your mind, you and your time. And guess what? Transformation is happening. Transformation is happening. Why? Because you've let God, as Paul says, change your mind. Transform the way you think. And so this is that sort of $10 Christian word that we regularly use. It's called sanctification. And sanctification is simply that lifelong, ongoing work of being transformed to be more like Jesus to be transformed to look more and more like Jesus. And you will never arrive. As long as you're on this side of the dirt, we will always, 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 if we allow God, be transforming. Being sanctified by the scripture, by prayer, by community, God is transforming us and God isn't taking control of our limbs and we don't have any, right? Forcing us to open the Bible forcing us to close the flaming hot chips 12 o'clock at night, forcing you to block that person who doesn't deserve your time and energy. The, 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 the spirit doesn't take over your body in that way. So what happens? He is changing your mind, influencing the way you think. And this isn't some hostile takeover. Like Paul suggests that we have to let him change our mind. We have to let him transform us. We have to let him help us see that thing or that person from a different angle. Like we've got to cooperate with this, otherwise it will never happen. And when you submit to that for a day, for a week, for some months, for some years, for the rest of your life, you get what Paul calls in a different version, a renewed mind. A renewed mind. And some of you, your problem isn't that you need more money, although you could probably be benefit from some more money. 
Some of you think, if I could just get a new job, everything will be all right. Some of you, if I just had a different husband, I would be all right. But some of us, dare I say most of us, we, we need a different kind of made-up mind. We need a renewed, transformed, regenerated way of thinking thinking, which informs how we see the world, how we show up in the world. It informs how we vote and how we love and how we manage offenses that move toward us, both, 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 both small and great. It will inform how we manage those high mountaintop moments of life, and it will certainly help us figure out how to not lose our minds and our faith and our salvation when we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Paul says, make up your mind, cooperate with the Spirit in transforming you into a new person. This will radically change your life. If you don't believe me, ask the people you admire most. I'm not talking about the remote, distant social media influencers who, 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 who you admire. I'm talking about find a person who goes, that person is a person of faith. I don't know all the inner or outer workings of that person's life, but, but that person, I'm inspired by them. I'm impressed by them. If you cozy up to them and say, just say, what, what do you, what's your secret? Like, I know, like, you're dealing with stuff. Like, how is it that you're smiling all the time? And how is it that you're so lovely? And how is it that you're so thought, uh, thoughtful and, and selfless? If you push up to them and ask them, they will tell you they're not perfect. They make mistakes. But they have generally allowed God to transform them in their minds. That's the secret. Because from the mind flows the information to conduct our will and our beliefs through our bodies. It's that simple. And so a made-up mind is a transformed and a renewed mind. So Paul says, this is hard, but it's not complicated. You want to make the most of the best of your life. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. Give your body to God. If you want to have a better go at giving your body to God, don't copy the behaviors of this world. And since we are naturally broken and of this world and our mind is naturally faultily rewired to think like the world, the way we tie this all together to really make the most of the rest of our life, it doesn't matter what age you are, life stage you are, we have to make up our minds, cooperate with the Spirit in renewing our minds. Now, I know this is a tall order. I know it's slightly intimidating. Uh, but some of us, like, you really needed to hear this this morning. And worship team, you can make your way up as I land the plane. As I was praying this morning um, uh, for, for the service, I had this sense that th there are a, a lot of people, uh, particularly in this season, uh, that, that is just dealing with a lot of spiritual apathy. Does that make sense, what I, what I mean when I say spiritual apathy? Like, there is just some indifference about the things of God. Uh, there is just a distance that you feel between you and the Lord. There is some renewal that needs to take place. There's been a drift 
from that white hot center of faith and community and devotion and connection and worship. And some of you are just here because you just said, I'm going to church despite how I feel. I'm gonna be in the house of God because you've, you've been discipled toward, pressing toward the place of worship regardless of how you feel on the inside. But I feel like the Spirit of God is highlighting for many of us, uh, and partly myself included, that there just is this sort of dryness and the spiritual dryness and this sort of apathy toward the things of the Spirit and toward the things of God that I think the Lord really wants to address. And here's why I'm saying this. I believe this is true because many of us have not have given the Lord an opportunity to give us a thoroughly converted, a thoroughly converted Christian mind. That is to say, our attachment to the world, our attachment to all the things that's making us worry and anxious and all the besetting sins in our life that make us feel ashamed and, and therefore repeat certain cycles of, of destructive behavior, I just feel like the Lord just wants to gift us a thoroughly converted, fully integrated Christian mind that would in some wise fight against the apathy that many of us are starting to feel, particularly around this season. And so I want to highlight as I land this plane the fact that we have to cooperate with the Spirit in order to do this work. I want to highlight at the end of this message here what Paul says at the end of verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And I want to end with that because I know that what we've talked about today is challenging. That what the Lord is inviting us into is very, very difficult. And we can, if we're not careful, skip over the fact that God's plans for us is good, is pleasing, and perfect. It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And I think the enemy loves to stoke what do they call it, FOMO? <laughs> Fear of missing out. And one of his tactics is to highlight what we stand to lose and downplay or cause us to completely ignore all that we stand to gain. But my Bible tells me, and I just read it for you, that God's plan for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. And we only get to experience that if we cooperate with what God wants to do in our life. And how do we cooperate? We cooperate, cooperate by bringing our bodies. We cooperate by not copying the world. We cooperate by letting the Lord transform our minds. Because it's only in cooperation with what God wants to do can we live the abundant life. Can we live that richness of life? Doesn't matter whether you're a student or one of our beautiful seniors or anything else in between. If you want to live a life well, bring your body to God. Copy the world and make up your mind.
If you want to fight that spiritual apathy that we might feel pressing in on us, same thing is true. Bring your body to God. Don't copy the world. And let God change your mind. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, this is hard stuff. For those of us who've been Christian for a long time, like we know that regularly we have to hear a talk like this, be challenged and reoriented and like, like recommit to bringing you our bodies. Recommit to not being tethered to the world and cooperate yet again with having our minds renewed. And so we just say, Lord, come Holy Spirit, form us, shape us, mold us, have your way in us for the ways that we've drifted, bring us back. For those things that we've done or left undone, would you forgive us? For all the slick ways that we've tried to find a shortcut around surrender and submission and holiness and righteousness, Father, would you forgive us? And give us a will to build our life upon your love. Build our life upon the firm foundation that is Christ Jesus. And make the very best of the rest of our lives.